This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to The Stone Wolves, a Galactic Football League novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves is also available as a Kindle ebook from Amazon.com or as a full-length audiobook from Audible.com. To find links for those items, go to scottsigler.com slash thestonewolves, one word. Hello, junkies! Welcome to the Stone Wolves Q&A, part one, part one of two. There you go. We recorded this episode live as part of our weekly Sigler in Place live stream. We stripped out the audio, dropped it into this file, and there you go. This is a long, long episode in 90 minutes plus. We had so many questions. Honestly, I'm not, I think we got through like 20% of the questions and it took 90 minutes and we still got another 90 minutes squared away uh, for next week. So delightful, fun. A lot of questions come in. A lot of them were the same questions. We kind of pulled them together if they were very, very similar. This episode is full, 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 full of spoilers. I will mention this again in the audio we stripped from the live stream, but be warned, we refer to any and all Sigliverse books and we don't obfuscate or cover up what happens. I answer all the questions freely right off the top of my head. Mainly, the things that will get spoiled are about the GFL. So if you are not up through book six, The Gangster, I might file this one away and listen some other time. There are a few little spoilers for other Sigler books, so listener beware, decide for yourself. After the episode, we have a promo for the new podcast, Tabula Rasa Bitches, a Buffy rewatch show. Besties Allie Press and Nick Mercer jump back into the world of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and bask in their love for all things Buffy, rewatching each episode from the beginning. Allie and Nick will discuss their favorite quotes, lessons learned, takeaways, etc. You can find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and connect on all social media at at T-A-B-U-L-A-R-A-S-A-B-P-O-D. That's Tabula Rasa B. Pod. I'm sure she's going to mention that. I'm sure Allie's going to mention that in the promo. I haven't heard the promo yet. We're going to tack it on at the end. But I, we're putting this one on because Allie is an integral, integral part of this podcast. She's the one who makes sure the talkie talk and the episodes and the intros and outros are assembled every week. She gets it synced up with the art. She puts it into your feed. She puts them on YouTube. And uh, that is one of the many things that she does for her day job. So we wanted to give her a little bit of a, a little bit of sunshine to promote her new podcast. All right, here we go with part one of the Stone Wolves Q&A. Enjoy. So there you go. So we're explaining what's going on. Hello, Bruce. Hello, everybody. Uh, Reagan, Reagan says, oh, ladies on the ticky-tocky. Very nice. This old lady's on the ticky-tocky. Let's get into our business. Ladies and gentlemen, this in this episode, the Stone Wolves Q&A part one. That's it. That's the entire show. Also, it is Hostess Cupcake Day. So what, what, what? Hostess Cupcakes. I even got, I don't really like chocolate, you guys. You guys already know that. 
but they had a birthday cake flavored. I know it's going to stink. <laughs> it's going to be so it's bad. Gonna, it's going to stink. It's going to be so bad. Hold on. i got to tell a heartfelt story. Okay, it's also going to be noisy for a sec. There I was, when I was a kid in Sheboygan, Michigan, and we didn't have things like food, we could always count on the hostess cupcake lady to show up and give all of us a delicious hostess cupcake. Dude, the whole of, room smells like fake sweetness. Full of creamy middle parts and white loopy outer parts. And sometimes this perfect cream filling was the only thing that got us from one day to the next. I don't think any of that. And then about five to seven or possibly 15 years ago, I'm a little fuzzy. They went out of business, the hostess people did. And they were bought by a conglomerate who moved the factories to another we country. We like 45,000 questions. Moved factories to another country. <laughs> And the sons of bitches replaced the recipe. They changed the recipe on the cake filling, and my life's never been the same. It's never been the same. And we're back. The thing... I'm not a... I'll take that. Don't throw that away. He's going to eat four cupcakes on the show tonight. All right. Um, The thing that I hate about the, the, the changeover of Hostess is you used to be able to peel this little stripe... Um, off the top of the cupcake, and I don't really like Did chocolate. Did you literally put your finger in my creamy frosting? I'm sure that's naughty. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get on our text alert list, it's booming. People are signing up for it left and right. It's very fun. We send a very short, very informational text. I don't even curse. That's how above board we are with this. Just text SIGTEXT to 855-955-5095. You will get a notice when we drop new episodes, when there is book news, if there's any movie news, you would get it there. And also, um, we let people know when there's going to be a live stream, like today. It's very good. And of course, you should sign up for the newsletter, scottsiller.com slash newsletter. We just sent one out where we announced the next podcast and a bunch of other fun stuff. Sign up for those things. Those things would be great. But we want to hurry up and carve up meaning. Oh, and we do have a crypt update. It's oh. I should call it a shakedown update, ladies and gentlemen. And the update is, I've been writing away. Here are the current, the current numbers. Drum roll. No, I did that once, and you told me you, you to got to do it light. You got to do it. Go ahead. Go ahead. What are you doing? <laughs> we might be 63% done. We might not. We might be 70% done. We might be 40% done. Based on my best estimation of trying to give a projected target for each remaining chapter, we are 63% done. Don't be alarmed by that 634 words. That's when I was uh, doubting the entire project. I have since got that up to 1,500. Uh, <laughs> you the, mean today, specifically today. In, today. The, in the 20 minutes for the show, I got back to writing, and I will probably write after the show as well. But that is where we are. Shakedown, the Crypt Book One, rocking and rolling. Mm-hmm. All right, now I think it's a... Uh, I think we might be moving on. So, oh, and next podcast is next the po- rookie. Yep, we have already talked about that. We did get that question quite a lot, and I think every single time someone emailed in that question because you guys know us so well, you're like, unless you tell us before this, this, the Q and A. So we are going to do the original Rookie Podcast. It's important to note two things. The original Rookie Podcast, if you don't know this, if you're new enough to the Sigler-verse that you don't know this, it is not YA. It is the only property in the Sigler-verse that is, or the GFL-verse that is not YA. And it will remain not YA for the podcast. So that means if you want a copy of this audio, the literal only way to get it is to download the podcast. So I'm telling you in advance. I do know, actually, there's another way. It's still the podcast. But when it first ran, I think there might be some junkies in the Sigler Junkies uh, Facebook group who, who you could get to to have it. I don't really know. Did we run it, though? 
Oh, yeah, we've run oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, we've run, we've run it. Yes, uh, of course we we've run it. Hello. We've run it twice, apparently, yeah. so, according but to Big we John get this, We get this question so, 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 so many times. How can I get my hands on that? I appreciate that it's not part of the, the new GA, YA, GFL, whatever. Uh, this is the only way. So if you want it, make sure that you record it. The way that these books work is we're going to take down we're going to take down this entire podcast about 2 weeks after the the Q&A for the rookie remastered readulted whatever forever so you got to get it now that's your fair warning all right so are you guys ready you ready to get into this yes i will tell you guys one more time absolute spoilers about spoilers. everything spoilers. i'm going to say that a handful of more times probably throughout the night spoilers for everything most of this is is most of this so is Dennis. stone wolves or Gangster related this episode. There's a lot of General Sigler first questions in next week's episode. Dennis Garcia with his wonderful with tattoo. His gorgeous tattoo. Got his daughter, I think it was his daughter, yep. uh, is it, now a member of the PV James Keeling. She's on the uh, she's on the crew list. I put it in there today. Way to go, Dennis. Nicely done. Yeah, Donna, you're right. The crypt uh, audio isn't YA at all, and it can't be. The story is too dark for oh, that. It's but dark. technically speaking, that's not part of the GFL era, that's part of the crypt era. Yeah. And there's several hundred years in between. So obviously infected is also not why hey, and hey, that's Donna. part of the Sigliverse too. But let's get into it because we we'll got a it. handful of I'm saying um, I'm just saying with the crypto, with Shakedown the Crypt, if you're looking for all the wonderful things uh, from Star Wars and Star Trek like the Force and people doing good things and clean <laughs> and clean uniforms and washed bodies and you know, done hair. None of that. That's in Shakedown. It's dirty, sweaty, nasty. It's very claustrophobic, very cramped. Mm -hmm. And I'm surprised there's been a bit of blood so far. All right, let's get into it. Here we go. Okay, so again, one last time I will tell you spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Spoilers. We are going to start with the one video question we have so you guys can see how it's done. And then after this uh, episode, after you watch this, if you want to send us a video, you'll be on next week's show. Let's do it. Do we should do the video first? Yeah, that's okay. what she said. Oh, uh, shit. He told me to put it at the top. I, no, I, I have it. This Give is me a, a moment. Okay, I'll tell you guys. Uh, this is a no, question. No, I got, I got, I got, okay, I got, but I got to tell you. Oh, go ahead. All right. This is a question from David Hudson. Um, he, I think, even says maybe first-time caller, which is kind of nice. We don't uh, get to see you guys very much. Ready? Yeah. Here we go. Hit the brakes. This is the FDO inserting himself after the live stream recording back at you again. I had a bit of an audio screw up, so there is a echo on this gentleman's questions. It's not a bad echo. He can still still make out what he says, but there's nothing wrong with your system, and it only lasts like 45 seconds. So uh, stick with it, and now back to the live stream Q&A. Hey, Scott, hey, Scott Nay. Great, great story. Just finished listening to Stone, Stone Wolves. Um, super impressed with it. Long-time listener, I was listening back when you started with The Rookie and you were on a podcast called Soccer Girl, and that got me hooked after I listened to one episode of The Rookie. Been on you ever since. A um, couple questions. One is, uh, if you have grab cabs, why don't you have a grab truck at the end of this story? Um, and then second question is, was Goldman always slated to do this from the beginning of your story? Was- Let's address that right now. Uh, grab cab doesn't have to carry nearly as much weight as a truck. So you will see the term wheel trucks in this world. Um, in this world, David, the, there's a certain amount of resistance that artificial gravity can provide. I mean, there's going to be a lot more explanation of how it works in when you get into the crypt. As a matter of fact, shakedown, it's, uh, it's spelled out more specifically, but, um, you know, you can, 
You could float a guy like me, for example, in a grab cab. You take the offensive line for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That grab cab's gonna just—it's not—it doesn't have enough force to carry that much weight. So any kind of cargo hauler, almost without without exception, is going to be a wheel truck, normal wheels, normal axles, all that stuff. So that is the answer to that question. And then let's continue. You always like a secret agent um, in the GFL helping out. Um, and then last thing that makes me laugh is that. Every time I hear you introduce it with J.C. Hutchins, all I hear is your voice from years ago going, Hutchins! Hope as well, guys. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to the next one. Thanks. Thank you so much, right. David. Oh, pause him. We'll go back to Maine. Go to chat. So, uh, yes, Yitzhak has always been a plant. For those of you who have the, the bandwidth and the interest to go back and reread the series, uh, you may see a lot of the questions that Yitzhak asks Quentin, once it starts to sort of be Quentin's uh, non-official mentor and trying to help him not be such an a-hole and get used to the fact that he's got this awesome job and all these people really want to help him out, um, Yitzhak's questions are fairly leading, and they might be even psychologically leading. He's tr- he, Even from the starter on, he's trying to guide Quentin to a, an end result that Yitzhak has already predetermined and decided that Quentin is the man, and that Quentin is going to be the sort of the the face of the resistance, if you will. Whether Quentin wants that or not is irrelevant because Itzak, Itzak feels that is the way it will go. Michael Kimberlin also, because he's worked with Itzak in the past, those of you who've read this far know this, uh, they, they both have recognized, like, this is, our, this is the face of the company. This could be the brand that gets everybody excited to help us when, do this impossible task that we have before us. So that has always been planned. Hopefully it was real subtle and you guys didn't see it coming. I hope. Um, and I think that answers the question, right? It does. Yes. Yeah. And also Hutchins. Oh, yeah. We do want to say a little bit about that. Um, if you're new enough that you you were not part of w- what we sort of lovingly call the OG the OG community when, when it, it's pretty much I think it's John or Steve or somebody can tell us this. It's definitely um, Ancestor or sorry, Earth Core. It's definitely Ancestor, and I and I think it might also be the first Nocturnal, and everybody before that is an OG. Regardless, um, back when podcasting fiction was a new, a new, in fact, podcasts were new. Um, one of the big things that happened is podcasts, books on tape, sort of became podcasts, and there were several fiction authors. One of which was J.C. Hutchins, who co-wrote The Stone Wolves, and uh, Scott and J.C. Hutchins had um, a, a rivalry. We wanted to kill each other. And we tried several times. And they're cross-referenced in books and characters are cross-referenced and things like that. And J.C. is, hey, one, and a terrific human. Two, good night, Larry Dunn. Good. Uh, two, an absolutely fantastic author. If you mm. like The Stone Wolves, he and Scott wrote it together. And, um, and I'll tell you one other little spoilery thing. Um, you guys remember that we split uh, what became the gangster. We split... We originally were just going to do, was it six, seven books? And now we're going to do eight? Yep. And that it, that was uh, um, uh, through a discussion that Scott and JC had um, because Scott wrote this mammoth. If you think the gangster is big, it was kind of one and a half times as big um, story, through story. And JC uh, read, was, uh, is a collaborator of Empty Sets. He's brilliant and, and graceful and talented, and he helps us a lot. And... Um, he kind of wrote back and said, like, okay, I get this, but why is this this big? Why don't you stop sort of here? And it was the, and then they had conversations, and that's how we got one more GFL book. So now we're no longer not not fans of J.C. Hutchins because junkies get more junk. 
I won't say the birthday cupcake they're is terrible. bad, but I also won't say it's good. It's sort of, it, it sort of smells okay. like sweet chalk. Yeah, told you. <laughs> Quick side story. Hey, the, Michael when I, when I was nice in to a, see you. I was in a band called The Transfer in Michigan, and <laughs> ridiculous story. Transfer, and I was the one who had a job in the band, so I went out and bought a van so we could drive and go to gigs in the van, and it was super fun. Rock and roll. Loved it. And our singer's name was Steve, and we're driving in the van, and Steve random, we're like doing a three-hour drive to a gig, and Steve, who is, there's the, the driver's seat, the passenger seat, then the middle bench seat, then the back bench seat. And Steve randomly tells everybody, you guys know that my feet smells my feet smell like cake? And we look at him like, what? And this was fortunately one of the few bands I've been in where nobody did any drugs. It was great. And we're looking at him like, what? Uh, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, my feet, my feet smell like vanilla cake. And he picks his foot up and he puts it over the back of the seat. Tell me it smelled like cake and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. And. I forgot where I was at. You were saying he put the feet over the he seat. Put the feet, he put the feet over the seat, and one of my two guitar players says, and I'm like, I'm, like, I'm not going to smell your feet, dude. And one of my two guitar players leans over, smells his feet, he's like, holy shit. That smells like vanilla cake. <laughs> and then Steve's like, Steve's like, he's like, come on, Sig, come on, smell him. Smell him. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, God damn, that damn fucking feet smell like vanilla they like smelled like I vanilla they were cake. Setting it was you up. the craziest thing. I thought they were setting nope. you up, and I was going to talk to you about secur- se- the security. Uh, Michael Deshaun, my brother, is uh, apparently at a, a veterans, a VFW meeting or something. All right, let's go. I, I distract us. Let's get the next question. Here we go. Now we're on to the text. The text. You guys can send the questions as a video, as we mentioned. You can record the questions as an MP3, which people don't really do anymore, but you can if you want to hear yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, the last thing I'll say about that is, hey, or you just text them in like we're doing now. Let's yep. go. Okay. So from Ben Seri, he asks, uh, here's some dumb questions that may or may not have been answered while I wasn't paying attention. Is there a Scott Sigler in the Sigler verse? And if so, what is he like? No. And also, uh, related and similarly hey hey irritating meta, w- was there a point of departure from our universe and the Siglerverse? And if so, what was it? Oh, that, that's an interesting question. I would say the biggest departure would be, I think that started with um, Contagious. Because now, with Infected, Infected could have arguably... Still been our universe. We just haven't heard about this information. Yeah, it could have been covered up. Ancestor, Earthcore, Nocturnal, all of this exists in in real time. Is that okay? Undo it. I'll keep talking. Okay. All of this exists in real time. There you go. And it's one of those, the story happened and the story finished, but it didn't make it out to the public in general and therefore... You know, it could have it could have actually happened. Yeah, like and that you know we see that trope a lot in comic books and movies and 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 sci-fi books where the government covers it all up. You know, this is the whole story of Warehouse Thirteen and X Files and a thousand things like that. So that could have passed. You know, we still would have known. And so, in Contagion starts to get bonkers, and then obviously in Pandemic. Millions of people die in pandemic. I did mention spoiler alert. <laughs> so, uh, and then we continue with the the current version, the final okay. version of Earthcore, where it falls in a timeline, and Mount Fitzroy, and uh, in 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 the DST series, which we hope to continue someday, uh, maybe twenty twenty four. Department of Special Threats. Things are going to change a whole lot, a whole lot. So, 
It, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I'll just add a little bit because uh, some of you guys might already be thinking this. While there's not specifically uh, Scott Sigler in the Sigler verse, there are some pieces of Scott, actually Scott, in several characters. Very much of his, his, um, you know sort of fandom, the type of fan that he is, the type of human he is, all that stuff. And I think you probably would guess instinctively that um, there's some of Quentin Barnes and stuff like that. And that's reasonable, right? Uh, Quentin is a leader. Quentin has to grow all the things, right? But in actuality, Pookie Chang, when we first met, you said Pookie Chang, because of course I was a junkie that met, I went to a convention to meet him. Um, And Pookie Chang, that was the podcast that was going right then. And he said Pookie Chang is the version of himself that that doesn't doesn't think of the perfect comeback three days later, yeah. but yeah. thinks of it right in real time yeah. and gets to say it and be suave and cool. And I totally get that. <laughs> uh, Chris Grawl, he says, pieces of Scott, tell me chicken scissors weren't involved. No, I don't no, handle chicken you. scissors in the house. She has to do all the chicken scissors work. I won't touch them. Mm-hmm. Neil D says, what's my favorite character to write for in the Stone Wolves? Um, I liked... I honestly liked all of them. I really, really enjoyed writing the Stone Wolves. Um, you know, a lot of those characters were kicked off by Hutch, and then it was like I would change them, and then he would change them, and we sort of glommed into this in, into this um, this through line or the center line for each character. We both understood the character, and I think that I, I probably think that Fitzroy, excuse me, the Stone Wolves is the one where I enjoy all of the characters equally. I love. The, them, the tortured mean. nature mm-hmm. of, of Killian. I love Aya, you know, trying to be so flippant with this giant chip on her shoulder when she all she wants is a, a home and a family and people mm-hmm. to call her own. Zan has a really way darker backstory that we are going to get into in GFL book seven. I mean, it's brutal. Zan's we, backstory we is brutal. We a tiny, tiny bit about it. Um, oh, I, I, yeah. About what she remembers and why she's so, especially if you are, Familiar with the Stone Wolves, if you haven't read it, I'll try to be non-spoiler here, but in this section where she, um, where Zan stands up for Aya in the moment that Aya thinks that Zan is not going to stand up for her. That she talks very specifically about a heartbreaking, world-breaking thing that happened to her. Um, and that's all we know, right, so far. But I will also say, um, uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, but the Stone Wolves... Uh, you're talking about writing the characters. I will say from email, I can tell you Beans is absolutely everyone's favorite character. We'll get to Beans in a second. Mike Worth says, can you shout out your military military correspondent for Pandemic? Love the tactical description and all-around badass Polyus. Uh, The military correspondent for the crypt, one of them, one of them for Pandemic, Uh happens to be in the room. That is Mr. Happy Chris Grawl. Uh, also, J.P. Harvey was uh, mm-hmm. the colonel, was Air Force colonel, retired, was one of the other consultants. There were several consultants in the military, but everybody, a round of applause for Mr. Happy. Absolutely. Mr. Mr. Chris Grawl. He's also still... a terrific, terrific guy and uh, pretty much one good of the dude. happiest people I know. Good dude. Very Which is funny dude. when you think of his job. Um, but he literally, when we first, when I first met him in person, he was literally wearing a T-shirt that said Mr. Happy and had like the... The little serious yep. Mr. Happy yep. on it. Yeah. And then, of course, totally to finish the question is Beans. How, how can you not have fun writing Beans? <laughs> Every It's mandatory. There's two things in the world of fiction that are mandatory. Number one, if you're writing a fantasy novel, there has to be stew. Stew must be... <laughs> stew must be multiple times Preach. in the fantasy novel. If you don't have stew... 
If you don't have, you know, a shared stew. Of you know, undetermined the rat length stew, of, bird of, stew, of freshness. Don't know how long it's been there, but when you come off the road on your horse and you, it's like, and ah, you find a pub a or a tavern. A, a shipping's tump for my bowl of stew. And you give the guy a shipping's tump coin and you have the bowl of stew and it keeps you alive. Mandatory. In science fiction, what is absolutely mandatory, if you have, uh, if you have either sentient robots. Mm-hmm. Or aliens that speak English mm-hmm. is the mandatory confusion about idioms in the English language and the mirth and hilarity that follows after. I got to do that with beans finally, and it was very, very fun. We got to get back to the questions that were sent before because we've got like literally go. three hours of them. I'm not even talking. Let's uh, go. David Stubblefield asks. Huge spoiler for the Stone Wolves. I'll stop saying it. Uh, David Stubblefield asked, "Will the time that Killian?" was on the PUV James Keeling be revealed in the crypt. One moment, while I dramatically switch to my other camera. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, it will. All right. <laughs> You're back? What's happening? There oh, it is. There it is. My, uh, <laughs> I screwed up the drama angle. All right, sir. Yes. Gary Lloyd asks, uh, Scott said there won't be any more GFL novellas because it takes too much effort to control them and they don't screw up the, so that they don't screw up the main GFL storyline. But would he be open to allowing them after he finishes all the GFL novels? Secondary question, can we have more stories about the misadventures of Beans? <laughs> um, well, you know, Beans is uh, name-checked in the, uh, gosh darn it, what is the one at the end of the universe? I'm drawing a blank. The, the Reef. The Reef. Beans is name-checked in the Reef, or re- referenced in the Reef. I, I I would really like to write another Stone Wolves book, with or without Hutch. Um, mm. People, you guys seem to enjoy it. It was fun to write. It was fun for you guys to write. I mean, it, you, you both had a little bit of stress going on in your personal lives at the yeah, time. Yeah, Because this started around 19, uh, 2014, I think, was the start hey, of that writing. Mm-hmm. But you guys really enjoyed it. It's just like when you like talking to your crypt advisors now. Like, it's, it's he stresses about the crypt, but loves to work on the it's crypt. very fun. Because <laughs> it's usually drinking involved when I talk to the, the crypt <laughs> advisors. But um, did I answer the question? Uh, yeah, I, th- I mean, so, oh, I, so I would, sort of. We, I would love to write more on beans. I will tell you right now that um, if there are more stone wolves, it's that's the crew. Those four people. Other characters may come in and out and interweave, but right now they are also dialed in together with their relationships and their loves and, and annoyances. But you know what? GFL book. Eight is that what I'm on now or seven? Mm-hmm. Seven. GFL Book Seven is basically a Stone Wolf sequel. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of Stone Wolves. The weird thing in GFL Book Seven is the first GFL book where I have three point of view characters. So I won't tell you who they are, but you may be able to do the math. All right, let's go. You're gonna get more beans in it. Let's go. Okay, Ellie Swanson asks. My question is, why did you stop incorporating sound effects in your audiobooks? There were none in the Gangster or the Stone Wolves, and I just think it would have been uh, really interesting to hear sound effects as okay. MT734 okay. was being sucked into a black hole by the Cruncher. Because but almost without fail, the the sound effects we do, we, we usually keep sound effects for intercom. Or for communications. So if I'm talking to A, but A's in another room, she gets what we we and Steve, the iceberg rig, we call the telephone effect mm-hmm. to some degree. So it sounds like it, it when you watch a movie and someone's listening on headphones, you get that a bogey coming out of five o'clock over. And so that's there. And then it's 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 largely saved for the football games. Yep. We don't I don't want to I don't want to overdo the sound effects and 
make it like a radio drama because it's not a radio drama. It's not quite that kind of presentation. So that when I, I'm keeping it relatively normal, so that when you get into the big stadium and you hear the roar of the crowd, and then Steve can play all these games with the volume of the crowd and the length of the crowd roar and adding extra crowd layers on top of it, that's when you don't you don't really know this is happening, but I'm I'm grabbing you much tighter emotionally by bringing in this thing that we're all familiar with without without overdoing it throughout the rest of the series. Yeah, and that's what I was going to add. There's there's two things that I wanted to add. One, there are sound effects in the Stone Wolves and in all the GFL. Uh, it's just very, very specific and precise. And part of that is because in early podcasting, which Scott was a part of early fiction podcasting, there was no distinction between fiction podcasting, full cast audio drama, full produced audio drama. None of that existed with words. Everybody was like, oh, this is sort of like 1940s radio hour. But there was no distinction between the genre or subgenres at all. And in reality, now there are full cast audios. And full cast audios are truly 1940s kind of reproductive 1940s radio hour. <laughs> and so what I'll tell you, the second thing I want to tell you is if you want to hear a lot of that, um, we have a relationship with graphic audio. And while they are not full, unabridged stories, if you already know this story and you want some more vibe, and I know this is probably also important for people with... Um, with uh, vision disabilities, things like that, you might get a bigger sound picture if you have more sound. Maybe check out the graphic audio ones. They are, like I said, unabridged, but you'll have the whole, or they are abridged, but you will have the whole story if you've already heard the Stone Wolves. Steve points out that Zan's voice was the same through 99.98% of the book, so I wouldn't be surprised if he actually did the friggin' math on that. Oh, no, but he Steve, for sure did the math. Steve did a great job on Zan's voice because I just, I listen, brilliant. I listen to the whole episode before I do a pod, before I, drop them in the feed so that I can hear like the, the key points for the story so far. And it's also like a last minute proofing thing. So yeah. just in case, cause sometimes there's so many, there's filters always, I stuff. mean, there's so many, but pieces. Uh, the, the, the voice of Zan in the final episode of the stone wolves. Great job, Steve. Yeah. Sounds, sounds fantastic. Our good friend, Godfrey Lee, he asks us a lot of questions and they're always very specific and I love them to death. He says, uh, greetings FDO and a from your favorite aspiring voice actor. Uh, I have a quick question about Dr. Sackacorn. I couldn't help but notice that her voice in the Stone Wolves sounded growly compared to how she spoke in The Gangster. Is there any reason for this or any backstory for this? Or was she simply was that simply done, what I think, to make it easier for listeners to tell her apart from Aya in their conversations? Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I hadn't really... Usually before I do a character, I come up with a button, I come up with an anchor, like this is based on this stand-up comic, or this is based on this actress, etc. And I don't think I had done that for uh, when you hear Zach Corn in GFL Book 6. So that's uh, a rare continuity, uh, audio continuity error on our part. We didn't have that figured out, and I will, spoiler alert, when I, I finally when I finally figured out Zach Corn's voice... It's uh, Red Fox from Sanford and Son. That is that is what it is I'm based on. You ain't you big dummy. You ain't got the punch drive set up yet. So that's uh, that's you ain't that got is second. No. You uh, you uh, oh Steve. You know what? It. No, I, 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 why don't you go down to the Department of Brains? But you ain't gonna make no money for a new brain because you ain't got no trade in. That's basically you ain't got no trade. You ain't got no trade. That's basically the button. Huge Red Fox fan. Used to watch that show with my dad, and uh, it was super fun to to pay a little homage. 
In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so this question actually comes up in several forms several times. So I'm actually going to read Jared Miller's question, but I know many of you have asked this. So I hope you will at least forgive me for not asking it several times in a row. Um, And I will also tell you, this never occurred to me. Never once. Here's the question. Jared Miller asks, when I heard the descriptions of the Void Cloak, mm-hmm. my mind was taken back to Nocturnal. Is there a more thematic or Siglerverse connection between the cloaks that Jebediah Erickson wears and gave to his grandson and Brian Clouser and the Void Cloak? Uh, oh, look. Uh, Mom is in the house. Zip's in the house. Hey! Zippy, I love you so much. I would love to pretend that that is a connection Isn't that I made. Isn't it the best? 
but maybe it's a connection that I made. It's definitely maybe. a connection that you know, I didn't know he I made. I will say it's very possible I made that connection 15 years ago. <laughs> because I am just that goddamn smart, ladies and gentlemen. Just that smart. So that's it. There you go. Uh, so Matt, don't worry about it, Matt. Several of you guys asked similar questions. I'm going to ask similar but not the same question again because we got both. Okay. And uh, just since you guys saw my explosion of love, uh, Marianne Rodowski in the chat room is my mom, and she's the best thing that ever happened to me uh, before I met Scott. Present company excluded. <laughs> or included. Maybe they're the best thing. I don't know. I like it. But that's my mom. Je that's what I was doing. Okay, next question. Um, Jedediah Alspach asks... One, why aren't there heavy key in the GFL? Oh, we've addressed this because they are there's the the genetic engineering that turned humans into heavy G. That was pretty good. Is basically is pretty good. They were able to revert some of the of, of the evolutionary modifiers uh, in the genetic line and bring back a lot of gorilla or primate uh, they reconnect to some of the things mm -hmm. and, and put new things in that were compatible because we all have a common ancestor. So that was all that it was more successful. The heavy key are definitely there. They're slow. The big, the heavy key are slower and they don't have the reaction speed. And if you guys get into college football or the NFL, the biggest dude in the world is not necessarily the best football player because so much of football is hand speed, reaction time, reach, and and general coordination. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to. If if I do this, A has to know that this is coming, then this is coming, then I'm ripping, I'm sweeping, then ripping through. She has to be able to step to the side, back up, absorb that shock, come back in, and maintain main, maintain block while the defender is trying to block destruction, take away the arms, pop the arms up, all these different things. The the the. Subliminal computation that happens on every single play in the NFL between an offensive and a defensive lineman. I, I could write down everything that happens in a, in a single play, and I bet it would take up five pages just to explain yeah. what they all did in those three seconds. So the key heavy key don't have that. They can't process that fast. And the reason I put this earlier in the in the questioning in the hour was to put it close to um, the question about ga uh, grav cabs and grav trucks. Okay. Why is there no grav truck? And it's a similar problem of physics. And if the Siglerverse is a very slightly modified version of this universe, the heavier a thing is, the harder it is to work by magnetism or gravity, the harder it is to move, the harder it is to move quickly and precisely. That's right. why, you know. This is for FB Games. Done. Continue, oh, baby. Oh, my goodness. Um, and, uh, and so I put them close together because it's a similar reason, which is the Siglerverse is based on this universe, slightly modified. I'm going to go off script here because I love Neil's question, and I think it's important. Okay. Um, <clears throat> some of the characters you perform a lot, John Tweedy, Julia's coach, Killian, you – oh, and also uh, his cousin in the new band um, – they're sort of hard because they yell a lot yep. and they're hard on his voice. So what do you do to prevent damage to your vocal cords? And I want to start by saying this. One of the big things that Scott did, whether or not he knew it, and then he'll tell you about his vocal process, is the characters who sound the very closest to him with not so much burr in, in, his, in his actual throat are Kill, uh, Quentin and Killian. 
And I think that Quentin was purposeful because Quentin is sort of, you know, he's going to be the main character through, you know, whatever. And that's important. And Killian was meant just to be an older, bigger version kind of thing. Um, John Tweedy's interesting because that tears up your voice. John, John, but yeah, Quentin was just like, Quentin's just like kind of a kind of a calm Clint Eastwood, just a little bit of burr in the voice. And then Killian was meant to be like the same burr in the voice, but just a lot, a lot deeper. And that was really difficult, really through the stone walls. We had to stop multiple times because I had come up with that voice for Killian. I'm like, this is great. And then we were about 20% of the way into the book. And I'm like, this voice is fucking murder. Like it just, (sighs) it, it, it's, it really trying to add gravel at the low end of my register tears up my voice. And it got to the point where I, it, it fuzzes out the low end. So eventually Killian just sounds like a drunken Quentin, you know, mm-hmm. and I and we would stop. And I was so frustrated and so mad. And, and A, only A and Steve had yeah. to endure. <laughs> Steve had to so have a many, lot of punchings. So many, so many instances of me just, just losing my shit. If I had had someone to choke out, if I had something to hit, it would have been great. But I'm like, I but it wouldn't fix booth, the problem. <laughs> wouldn't fix the problem. So. Uh, the answer, so the, that was a very difficult voice, and John and John Tweedy, of course, you, you're just doing that same voice, but it's super high volume and super high speed. You got to get you get really excited about forceful. everything, and and there's a lot a, a lot of forcefulness to it. So John Tweedy will never be a main character in the GFL. <laughs> he cannot. Never, never, never. <laughs> uh, and so Quentin, I can do all day. Drop that down. I think I think I've dropped down a fifth or maybe a full octave. I'm not sure for Killian. And like can only do that for thirty to forty five minutes at a time. Yep. And then uh, John, we sometimes we just save John outbursts so we can record those separately. Is that, True. And is I was, that all the questions? Yeah, that, that, that was the question, and okay. I, I'm glad we asked it. Uh, uh, Brian Pierce says in the use lime juice and honey, and I will just just in case because I know there's several voice actors in the studio in the audience tonight, and I know several voice actors who listen the next day. I will say this: that's fine, but that will ruin your stomach stomach if you do a whole day of voice recording. And what you're looking for, what we what I used to think we were looking for in the acidity, the the juice was to cut mucus, but it isn't. Uh, we're looking. Um, I would suggest if you do voice work, try apple juice or pineapple juice. Pineapple juice and honey changed everything for me. And that's there are several book there are several voice actors who have written books, mostly including um Yuri Lowenthal and Tara Platt, who yeah. are married to each other, and he is Prince of Persia, right? Yes. So he records a ton. They made a how to be a voiceover book. Very good book. And it's great. And they suggested the pineapple, and I tried it when I was recording my third audiobook, and it was way better. And uh, Richard Medina, so try it. thank you for your <clears throat> lovely, lovely comment. I love that. Also, since I've been taking singing lessons, I have learned much more. Uh, I wish I had done this years ago. I have much more control over the, the soft palate, the upper area above your tongue and down the back of your back of your throat where your epiglottis is. I'm now much it's much easier for me to manage that and lift and raise that. When you do that, it creates a larger vocal air, a larger area for the air to come out. And I've learned much better diaphragm control, how to send how to do a thing called compression. Mm-hmm. So you're pushing all from here and then your throat is actually sort of controlling that. That gives you m- much more longevity and, you're, and it protects your throat. It's, it's got, and then now I have this. I use this a lot. This is called, Entertain- if you can read it, it's called Entertainer's Secret. Those of you who listen to podcasts, I'm holding up a product in front of the camera, which you can't see. And this is, there's just a bunch of shit in here. And whether it's uh, psychosomatic or not, 
it does seem to work. Now I can sing for I can sing for ninety minutes, no problem. Where I was good for thirty minutes when this all started. True, and I will say one more thing, and then we'll move on. That I learned uh, in I have a uh, an acting degree, and he learned with his recent voice lessons is the 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 biggest thing you can do to protect your voice for the <laughs> longest amount of time is ha- is have warm hot air which means it's got to come from here it can't you can't just shout it out you can't yeah. make it work what you're all you're doing is sort of drying out your vocal cords but if you can learn breathing techniques if you can manage and scott has kind of funky sinuses uh, i think from getting hit in the face and wrestling i don't know but he's got crazy nose and uh, he has started lavaging his nose uh, what's that called what's the other uh one? i don't know there's like know. a thing, but he does that Squirt on a, water uh, in this uh, neti pot. He doesn't neti sort of, pot, what, yeah. it's, it's lavaging and, and it's, it's boiled water and every time he uses the neti pot, it goes in the dishwasher and gets sanitized and everything like that because you don't want brain, brain amoeba. But that has literally changed everything for Scott. Yeah. Every time in all the years I've known him, except he had to go back to Detroit for a family emergency about a month ago. <clears throat> Except for that one flight that I didn't take with him, every single time I've known him, when he gets off a plane, he's all stuffed up and his eyes are kind of teary and red because his sinuses are screwy. But he's been doing this this lavage a couple, two, three times a week at least. And it changed everything. And he got off the he got off the plane. He called me. He's like, "I'm good. Danny's got me. We're going. Whatever." And that's that. And so, if you are a voice actor or need to sustain your voice, I would suggest uh, tea and honey, pineapple juice, lots of water, and maybe lavage if you got to. Uh, real quick question from Wesley Branton in the chat room. Hey Scott and A, what was the thought process behind having no front office and only one coach in GFL organizations? That's a great question. It's the number of characters. When I started out the GFL. I strongly considered eight-man football because then eight-man football and people playing two ways because that would, you know, you, you, you drastically reduce the number of people you have to deal with. If it's a full NFL team with, I forget, 54, 56 players plus eight on the practice squad plus assistant coaches plus all these other things, that's an enormous amount to keep track of. So I tried to drop it down to an arena football style thing, but then I realized that, that would be its own separate set of explanation for people who understood NFL football, the most one of the most popular sports in the world, second most popular sport in the world, I think, and then try and explain why this eight man, how eight man football works. I already had to explain how football works. I didn't want to have to do two layers. So, frankly, it was just it was an easier story to write. The G, Greedock is the GM, and that's that. You have a GM, you have one coach, and the coach has so much brain power, they don't need assistant coaches. And it was just, uh, otherwise, I, I couldn't have written this. It was too much work. Couldn't have written the story. Okay, uh, this is spoilery. Uh, Jeff Eckelberg asks, with the interconnectedness of all of your stories, is there a connection between the Ponsky sisters and the factions of children from the Generations trilogy? Are the Heavy G humans a branch off of the Generations kids? Uh, and then he says, you rock, I love all your episodes, you, and I look ne- forward to the next thing. The answer to both of those <laughs> is no. Heavy G is a specific genetic engineering experiment and process developed by the League of Planets so that they could they could have workers to go down and do the mundane work on heavy G planets. So, but there, there's no connection with the Ponsky sisters. There's no deeper connection between the Nocturnals and heavy G. Uh, so Joseph Aldred, he's a writer. He's been a junkie forever and ever and ever. He asked two specific questions Stop about the process, or our process, I guess. Mm-hmm. The first one is for you. When you sit down to write, do you spend much time visualizing your scene before you write it? 
That's an interesting question. I, I faced that today. I actually started writing a scene because I know I need in in Shakedown. I need these these two characters who have a really super cool dynamic that I'm very excited to write. Um, I need them to have a moment alone, which is difficult to do on a basically on a a World War II submarine is is very difficult to find a moment alone anywhere. And wrote that, got frustrated, couldn't make it work, kept doing it. And because I had not visualized the scene, I'm just like, I'm going to, I couldn't figure out how to do it. So I'm like, I'm just going to start with their dialogue. I always like start with their conversation, start with their dialogue, assume they're alone. I even wrote, wrote above, find a way for these two people to be alone. So I could get into the emotional element of the scene, determine the weight of the scene in the book, then realize, okay, well, I need this much work to go back and connect the line so that these all lined up. And then in the 20, when I finished prep here 20 minutes early, Somehow my brain had reconnected that, subconsciously reconnected that, because I have a cake scene, oddly enough. It is a scene about cake. And uh, I realized, oh, I need I can put this cake scene here, start it here, and then bring these two characters together over here. So um, I rarely have a, an idea, a full idea for the scene. There are some, when it's world building, for example, when I'm introducing the CIC in the PV James Keeling and Shakedown, I specifically construct that scene so I can explain what everything looks like. Because when there's blood on the walls and body parts on the sonar, you're going to want to know where everything is at. So some mostly for action sequences and for uh, establishing how everything looks, I put a lot of thought into the scene ahead of time. Most of the other time, it's just it's just character driven. Did you have to block somebody? Mm-mm. Okay. So that is the answer to that question. I'd say about 25 percent of the time, I'm putting a lot of thought into the scene ahead of time. The other 75 percent. It, it's very superficial because my style is it's the dialogue between the characters is what actually tells the story. So um, I forgot to say at the top of the hour because we said spoiler alert so much. One thing we know about these Q&As is they always go 90 minutes. So I tried to front load some of the really like repeated questions and stuff like that. But we're probably going to go a little bit past seven o'clock. I'm going to do a little bit of a speed round here to catch up on some things that pretty much a lot of people asked. But it starts with Joseph's question to me, which was, this is for i I've always wanted to see a writer at work while they are unaware they are being watched. I know how my stuttering bits of typing go. Stop, stop start traffic jam when, a picture, when I picture Scott or any other big, actu- a big named author at work, I imagine a continual rattle of keys as the words fall sweetly into place. Have you watched him working and what is it like? So I'll answer this uh, as briefly as I can and then I'm going to answer a few more questions that are sort of related to just process and not the story itself. Uh, When we had the Lair of Doom downtown before the pandemic, it was an open air space. It was a a loft. We were in the basement, but it was still a loft building. So it was just one, pretty much one big room. And my desk essentially sat, I sat at my desk this way and I could see Scott out of the corner of my eye. He was maybe five, six feet apart. And he doesn't... (laughs) doesn't constantly tap at his keyboard, (laughs) but he does do a handful of things that are definitely him continuing to write that I think he trained himself to do. And that's why I want to share them. One is if he has to go research something on the internet, he will set a timer for himself so that he doesn't rabbit hole to rabbit hole to rabbit hole to rabbit hole trying to make his story better. He tries to fix the problem he had to go to the internet for. And those are very different things. Also, my favorite thing about him, and I can still hear this, if now he works in this room, and I work, we have a townhouse, and I work on the first floor. And still I can hear him, even if the door is closed, I can hear him sometimes go, focus, 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 focus. 
And it's always that. It's always focus, 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 focus. And that is some kind of a reset for him when something has happened and he's gotten away from either the the, the thing he's trying exactly, to write isn't Reagan. working. Exactly, yeah. Or he's gotten away from the thing he wants to and needs to write and he's goofing off. I mean, I don't mean goof. I mean goofing off in the story. Um, so those two things I've seen a lot. And I actually have some candid photos of him writing um, without him knowing I'm taking those photos from before. So I'll set and one where he absolutely knew like, he was taking it. So I'll like, share those. Next I would week. like to do two things. OK. Uh, somebody mentioned timers. You mentioned timers. Reagan says timers are great for ADHD. Okay. Show my timers. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to show you a not uncomfortable way to watch me write. And an uncomfortable way to watch me write. Here we go. <laughs> and while he's looking, oh, oh, he's he reorganized his office so they're easy to get. That's my hour timer. <laughs> it's his orange and black hour timer, which we never use for singular in place because we have too much fun hanging out with you guys. This is my 15-minute timer, and this is my 30-minute timer. I'll explain real quick how I use these. The 15-minute timer is when I am just ADD to the gills. I've got 17 new story ideas. I'm super mad I didn't do this with Infected. I want, like, frustrated with the TV show not happening and all that stuff. And I'm like, I get all worked up, and then I start reading the news, and I'll pull this bad boy out because it's just 15 minutes, right? And I'm frustrated. I can't concentrate. I'll put this in the, per- oops, in the perif right over here when I write. And what happens is when I'm fried, people are like, why don't you use a timer on your phone or a digital timer because I can see the numbers moving? Or I know it's there and I have, to, I have to check on it. This, though, at the periphery is I'm getting starting to get distracted. I look, is there still sand in the timer? Yes, go back to writing. And that's like a rebound to get me to write. And usually that 15 minutes, by the time the 15 minutes is done, I've now focused on 15 minutes and I'm I'm locked in and three hours goes by and I have no idea. In, in cases of serious deadline emergency, bust out the 30-minute timer and then this bad boy that my wife got me. It's orange and black, motherfuckers. Look at that shit. Who gets who gets their man an orange and black sand timer? Pimp. Straight pimp. I'm going to need a minute. And then this is for when I'm doing not work stuff. This is for bass lessons. This is for voice lessons. I put I turn it upside down. When, and when that's done, I have to come out of deep focus and be like, okay, you got your hour of bass practice in. Now you have work to do. So that's my timer setup. But it's important to note um, two things. I, I do not have ADHD, and Scott is the first person who I've been, um, who I've loved this much who has had ADHD. And so I've, I am actively trying to learn. So if you are a partner to somebody who is ADHD in business or life or love or like me, all three, do yourself a favor and, and do some homework. And and you can just Google how 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 neuro or how ADHD and neurotypical minds can marry each other or work together or whatever. You'll get a thousand things that help. I got that for him because the thing he mentioned, but he didn't actually explain the reason he that's troublesome for him to have it on his watch where it will alert him when that time is done. He doesn't have to pay attention to it. He can forget it, set it and forget it. He can't do that. Because he already knows it's counting down, so then it's sort of a sub-competition. Yeah. Can I get more words done before 10 minutes go by? And that's a, a distraction in the mind that's keeping him from writing. So if you guys have ADHD, and many of you mentioned that, the hourglasses are nice because there's no harm. If he is so focused that he's still writing after 15 minutes, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. So it, even if he misses when the timer runs out, it's still a win. The problem with the, the watch timer is I know it's there while I'm writing. And in my brain, I have a big problem <coughs> with time, understanding the passage of time. So you guys could sit with me for like, we've been here three minutes. And you're like, Scott, how long have we been sitting here? And if we've not been, ta- if we, I'd be like, I don't know, um, 
like four hours. Like I literally, I don't process that information. So if this is here and it's a timer, I know I have to go check the timer, see how much time I have left. Whereas the um, sand timer outside of vision, I don't have to engage with math or space time to get this. That's just a flick, sand, boom, back, just like that. We're so, going to do this. Yeah. Uh, I have several questions that we're going to get through that okay. are informative. And uh, one is why was the gangster released before the Stone Wolves if the re intended reading order is the other way around? Wouldn't it have better, been better to release the Stone Wolves first, or better yet, both on the same day? Not criticizing, just need to know to settle a bet. So I'm going to answer this one. It was all about pandemic timing, is really what happened. We had th uh, four... Four? Definitely three, maybe four stories in some form of completion um, at the time that we had to make all the decisions to close down the office, move out of the office during the pandemic, all that stuff. And the, the, the two biggest, well, the three biggest ones were the Stonewolves, GFL, seven, uh, GFL 6, the gangster, and Mount Fitzroy. And it takes work to get them done. So when we had to decide, and everything changed for us, our editors changed, of course, because everything changed. Everybody's job changed. Some people chose, like, they didn't have um, child care, so they had to leave their job. Like, one of our editors ha can't edit because she had to school and raise her child because they were locked down. So when we had three roughly finished properties, none of which were in production to publish, we had to make a choice of what would happen. And the reason that we chose the Stone Wolves first is it was the closest to completion. And that's the only reason. They, they would have both been first. They both would have worked. Uh, I think now we would recommend the Stone Wolves go f uh, second, set first, yeah, and then the gangster. Yep, but we didn't, ha we didn't have that grace then because we well, had... There's a there's another element to it too. The it was a really difficult choice because we knew that Stone Wolves spoils the gangster and the gangster spoils the Stone Wolves. So we said spoiler alert a thousand times. I tried once we had once we had everything under control. We knew what we wanted to do. We knew we had the time to do it. We still had the opportunity to push Stone Wolves off even farther and go back and do the gangster and do that first. And it was a lot of talk to me. A, John Vizcarra, um, J.C. Hutchins. There was a lot of talk about it. Well, finally, what I decided was that if people come into the series now, new, then we want them to go through GFL books one through five, plus the novella, if they want to do the novellas, and then, uh, then the Stone Wolves, and then GFL book six. So it's a nice linear continuum. But for all of y'all who've been listening for three years, five years, ten years, 15 years, 16 years, because I've been doing it that long, babe. I mean, I've been you've doing been doing it, it since, I think, 1933. I, since 1933, I've been doing this. For those who've been listening all the time and knew the quest of Quentin, it was to win a championship and to find his family, I felt it would have been, I felt it was much more rewarding Thanks, for Dex. you guys, much, much more of a, much more of a home run to have that surprise moment to be like, the fuck it's a damn what like that because it because it comes out of nowhere just like it would happen for Quentin for Quentin it comes out of nowhere yep. and if you had read the Stone Wolves first then GFL six 
I think you would have been waiting for him to show up and it wouldn't have the same impact. So I'm still going to go and answer sort of brief, easy to answer questions, uh, like uh, process sort of questions. And then we'll go on to some more deeper stuff before we run out of time. We are going to stay till 730. My brother just joined the chat room, which is uh, if you want to stay for half an hour, we'll be here. Um, so uh, following up on an earlier question, I think now that the last novella is finalized... Can we get, or you can get, a complete page count for the whole set? How girthy would the box set of GFL novellas be if you were oh to put God. them out in print? Would they be too much for one box and too heavy to lift? Or would they be too dangerous <laughs> to come within range of an event horizon? And most importantly, will we have to buy new bookshelves just to fit in the GFL girl? You're only too heavy to lift, brother. If you don't do your shrugs, you got to do your shrugs. Take your vitamins. <laughs> Let me give you the, the practical answer and then John can talk about the rest of it. Um, you, this was such so many people asked this question. So here's what I'll tell you. I don't have a word count for the novellas. I cannot tell you. Some people asked, can we have a Beans novella? Can we have a Zan novella? Can we do that? And I don't know the answers to any of that. What I can tell you is our standing current plan right now is to not write any more novellas. Um, and to eventually publish these novellas. We have talked in the past about doing a box set with a, with a with an actual box that you can buy separately from a different vendor. We have a guy who's made slipcases for us and my mom and stuff like that. What I think we're probably going to do with the world the way it is now is get all these books kind of shined up, typos, reviewed, all that stuff, new covers, and put them out as print Show on demand Robert, things. Love you. That's what I think we're going to do. None of that is set in stone, but so many of you asked for print books of the novellas. I wanted to tell you that, and I wanted it. to tell we're you that working we're on working on it. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about the novellas or how girthy they would be or anything uh, else? Well, the, already two of the novellas are big novels. The Rider is 90,000 words, I think, yeah. and The Stone Wolves is 124, 140, somewhere in the ballpark. So we only call them novellas to differentiate between here, you must. if you want to know the series, you must read the novels. If you want more from the series, you can read the novellas. Right. But we don't, we don't do it. We just went through with Goddamn Vision of Scarlet Witch just friggin' last night. We don't, I don't hold back information and make you give me money to enjoy the main. If you're just like, I just like the big, I want the main storyline. Boom, we got that. You want mm -hmm. more storyline? I will gladly take all your monies. But that, that's why we do that. All right, next question. Um, so now we're back to content questions, not process questions. I know a lot of you have process questions. They're next week. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ken Schrieberman says, I'm loving the Stone Wolves. I'm an OJ, and this is my favorite of all of your stuff. Oh, that's great, man. Uh, he also says, thanks also to JC. Uh, question, oh, when voicing lulls, are you channeling Christopher Walken? Yes. <laughs> 100%. I'm not even going to hold that back. Uh, because so good. It, what the the big the, the best fun thing with uh, with being able to put it on the audio effects and having a guy like Steve the Iceberg Ricky Berg in the you know ready to do all this stuff is I'll be like I'm gonna do this very bad impression of this person can you you know do we have a filter for this and he has filters so yes Christopher Walken <laughs> the firmament of the entire universe, you know, which is an easy impression that everybody who fancies themselves an impressionist can do. But we waited for the right place to put it. We put it. I'm kind of sad I don't get to do it again because Lulz is no longer with us. Yeah. So this is also a question from Ken. He says, given that Redwire, like Killian, appears to have been given some sort of super soldier treatment, does Yitzhak have to play under his play underplay his physical abilities? No, because he was already a a very 
gifted athlete. When he was in the Stone Wolves, the thing that made Yitzhak effective was his reaction time and his computational targeting ability. A couple of things that combined to make him an excellent pirate. He is mm-hmm. pi- pilot, <laughs> not pirate. Yitzhak has... Spoiler alert! No, I don't think that's true. NFL quarterback quality, spatial awareness, computational time, hand speed, and reaction time. He, if Yitzhak was alive, to, if he's alive today in this world, he would probably be at least a backup, if not a starter, in the NFL. All pro, not entirely sure, but he'd be a very, very solid, have a 10-year career. And then they went to work on him. So with the super soldier stuff... In my world, you can increase bone length, bone mass, bone density. You can do all that. You can you can impact muscle mass. There's a lot of things you can do. What you can't do, what you can't do in my world is you can't get in there and tinker with the baseline reactions. Yeah. So, no, he doesn't have to control his super soldierness at all. Killing, on the other hand, for reasons you do not yet know. That's my throwing. You should give me money. This is my give me money hand. You'll find out. Is uh, it's a completely different story for Killian, which you will find out approximately twenty twenty five or twenty twenty six. I don't think that's a bad estimate. Nicely done. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay. This is also from Ken, but I love it so much because I have no idea, and I never thought of this question. Is Mrs. Goldman a spy as well? I kind of like the idea she's more badass and dangerous than we thought, just like he is. Kind of like Elizabeth on The Americans. Oh, my God. We love The Americans. We were just talking about The Americans today in direct relation to a storyline that's going on in Shakedown, mm-hmm. the Crip Book one. Is, like, I figured this out. I, I got so upset today and because I couldn't, I lost control of the story and I didn't know where it was going. And I'm like, I'll take dogs for a walk. And, and he's like, nah, if you're in it, I'll get it. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, I'll take dogs for a walk. And then <laughs> while I'm walking, I'm walk. I'm like, don't look at your phone, do anything. Just work through the story, work the problem, work the problem. And then I realize, well, it's this, and then this, and then that's a little bit like the, the Americans. I'm like, fuck, if it's good enough for the Americans, <laughs> it's good enough for Big Papa. That's, that's, all, that's all it is. Because the Americans was a fantastic show. So, But no, she's not. There are already way too many characters in the GFL. So you will hear little or nothing about her except from the perspective of Itzhak. Uh, so uh, we're going to ask a few more. I know a lot of people have to leave. Uh, we will advertise that next week's show is probably going to be 90 minutes, too. That's my bad. Sorry, guys. Um, Mike, a lot of questions. Kazmerzak, and I always wonder if I say your name right, and I always say apologize in case I'm not. Because he's such an, an OJ. Um, he, the, his first question was the question about the change in Yitzhak. So I'm not going to read that because you just heard that answer. But I am going to say... Uh, to question two, which is a process question, he asks, have we ever thought about collecting all our short stories from anthologies over the years into the as-yet-unannounced Sigler short story compendium? I bet you have. Can it happen? Is it a rights issue? Would you? Would this be another way to spread the stank? So I will say, in case you don't know, the actual plan for Scott now when he takes uh, anthology um, contracts, when people reach out to him and say, we need you in our universe— is for the most part the only reason we do that, with very minor exceptions, is so that the rights revert to us and we can put them in the color collection. So if you are unfamiliar with the color collection, this is um, blood is red, bones are white, and fire is orange, and the next book out is called Death is Black, and that'll come out in this year. And right now they're only ebook 
format, ebook and audio format. Um, but just like the novellas, the plan is to eventually make them print on demand. But a lot of the stories that he has written for anthology that you've heard on Escape Pod, that you heard on Pseudopod, that you heard in his own short story collection, unless they are properties that are owned by a very big major studio like Bug Hunt, I don't think we'll ever be able to will ever be allowed to publish Bug Hunt. But if it's minor, not quite big franchise characters, um, those will end up in the color collection. So is it possible we'll do an omnibus of the color collection when it's complete? Because it's a color wheel. So there's a finite amount of them. Um, Two more. Maybe. Two more. Maybe. But but I don't know that we need to because they'll be print on demand for you. Yeah, we're there's cool shit. We we're so focused. I'd say in the next year of getting a couple of projects done, including a project I'm legally not allowed to tell you about, which is written. It's not a movie. It's written. But um, we're just a is doing the best she can do to try and prevent me from getting distracted, <laughs> which is what I am a pro at, and keep me focused on the next eighteen months of work that we have to deliver. And which will put us in a different position. And then it, I'm sure it's some, maybe in the 18 months we'll get on the short stories and the 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 um, novellas. But I don't know. That's all in her, her brain. We'll get to it. But we got a lot of shit to do. But that's the goal is to put out the novellas, as pr- put everything out on print as demand eventually. Because, you know, a lot of times it's one thing to get the super special limited hardcover edition. And that's worth paying for if you're outside the, the super crazy heavy shipping if you're outside the U.S. But Scott had a great idea to kind of put the paperbacks up when we can, which we're not quite there yet, um, as print on demand so that you don't have to pay 30 bucks to ship it from the U.S. if you live somewhere else, that kind of thing. So we're working on it. That'll take a little bit of time. Um, Chris, girl, you're an asshole. <laughs> I'm going to say right now, Chris, girl is an asshole. There are five color books playing, and Chris, girl had to put in the chat room, there are 16,777,216 internet colors. All right, let's go. Uh, Next okay, Mike King asks, why let's didn't Yitzhak raise concerns about Sarge Vinge? Hold on, it's why didn't Itzhak raise concern about Sarge Finch? I kind of know this one, I think. Because, oops, sorry, boom. I don't think so, Mario, please do. It's, it's, a, it's a good question. You might not like the answer, but as Itzhak mentions in the story, if he gets involved and questions start to come around, like, why did you not think this was my dad? Itzhak was concerned that the answer would be because I have met your dad and is not this guy. So Itzhak, keep in mind, Itzhak, in the first four books, he's playing the role like the, the dopey third stringer, just hanging out on the bench, waiting for my chance. Hey, how can I, how oh, can I help, hey guy, how can yeah, I help like, the team? It's all about the team, guy, and I just want to do my pod, guy. Can't say guy, though, because we now oh, yeah. know Donnie, or Danny the dolphin. But he's got a lot of shit to do off camera. He's friggin' managing the Zoroastrian Guild and doing some spy shit off camera. So he 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 made a choice that it might expose him and also, more important, he gave his word to Killian that he would not tell Quentin that Killian was alive. That's the thing I was going to say. Yeah. He promised Killian he wouldn't do that. And the other thing I'll say is he might not be the one who's making that decision. He might have had to run that up the flagpole and see what happened. But the big reason is he made a promise to face-to-face with Killian that he would never do that. And the, uh, to protect to protect Quentin. The GFL, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people in a lot of cultures across all genders across all identities, there are certain pockets where where word word is bond. 
your your core friend group, the people that maybe you grew up with or where you found yourself in your 20s or even your 30s in these people that you you manage to stick with, even if they don't always think like you, my term, because I'm a guy, I'm showing you, those are your boys. Yep. And and Yitzhak and Killian. That's actually my term too. Those are my boys. bros. <laughs> those are the bros. And and Yitzhak gave his word to Killian and that's it. It's not like, I'll die before I break my word. It's like, I gave my word. It's mm-hmm. fucking over. It's done. Mm-hmm. It's over. You don't even think about it again. I said I would do this and I will do this. Uh, so we have only four more questions, okay. just in case you're trying to time when you make your dinner or whatever. This one from Sean Dyer, I love so much. Which and it's a all Siglerverse scope. Which of the published stories have had outlined drafts that had to be redone because too many characters died? Are there any characters still around that were once part of one of these other backfield roles? Boy, that's a that's a tough one to answer. Um, I. Kind of know. I know who's going to die. That's a major dramatic moment. Mm-hmm. I don't know who's going to die for secondary tertiary characters. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, just not a blood in the scene. Got to kill Mary. Mary's been. You know what? I don't even like you, Mary. You're an asshole. I oh, mean, God. and you wore that tie today. So yeah, psh, it's tie. It looks stupid. It's polka dots. This so on and stuff. So uh, I, I know the major strokes of who's going to die as far as the red shirts or the set dressing. Never really sure. The shakedown is ma- shakedown is changing that dramatically because there are at this point ninety one people in the crew. Ninety one. Yeah, was that? And, and it can it go up to like one hundred and twenty two, right? If it's a World War Two ship. Um, oh no! Analog. I'm sorry. I'm I'm so sorry. It's 141 when you combine a different regiment that I haven't talked about yet. So uh, there's a lot of people on the crypt, and they're there for a reason, because blood's going to fly, dog. Blood's going to fly. So I don't exactly know who will die at that point. There is a sweet spot in there for Shakedown where some of the people, like, right now they're just a name. Mm-hmm. And I won't know that they're a cool thing until I write a scene with dialogue or they show up or they do something. And then I'm like, I can't kill this motherfucker. Got to bring him back. All right. So um, Ethan, clever. Uh, yeah. Shannon, Bethany, the you're looking for Dale and Mabel. That's the story you're looking for. Um, and uh, let's see. So I will also say this, Sean. There are not that I can think of because, of course, I even emailed you about this just to make sure I was thinking clearly. Um, I don't think that there's a specific story that had to be modified because too many people died. There no. are several stories, and I just mentioned GFL 6 became GFL 6 and 7 for reasons uh, similar but not the same, which is these characters got so deep and heavy and big and relatable to the story at hand and important to the story Scott was trying to tell that it, it didn't make sense to tell it all at once in one 250,000-word book kind of thing. So uh, that happens sometimes where the story sort of expands organically and becomes, okay, well, we'll tell this story in the next book, but not specifically just because they died. Yep. Too many people died. I will give a quick analogy because I'm from Sheboygan where pumpkin farming is a big deal. (laughs) Imagine you are a pumpkin farmer and you have been cultivating this genealogical line of seeds going back three generations. Grandpa pumpkin farmer. Dad pumpkin farmer, and now you, pumpkin farmerson of the pumpkin farmersons. I like Sheboygan. to call him Papa Pump. Papa Grandpa Pump. was Papa Gra- Pump. Gra- Grandpa, Papa Pump, Papa Pump, Daddy Pump, and then Peter, Pump. Peter Pumpkinson. And you have all of these seeds, and you've got all of this acreage. And you know what? You're like, 
I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know if we'll win the county fair or not for the largest pumpkin. You go and you plant all your seeds. You plant all your pumpkin seeds. And you water them. And then you wait. You pick off snails. And Steve then Ricky you wait. Bird. And you're watching all this stuff. And then you wait. And the pumpkins come out. And they all look the same. All the pumpkin plants are reasonably the same. And then little bitty pumpkins. Little bitty pumpkins start to come out. And you're like... I don't know if I got a world record. I hope I do, but I don't know. And you don't know until like 75% of the way through pumpkin season that you're looking at a pumpkin and you're like, that's a goddamn big pumpkin. That's literally bigger than my car. I didn't see that pumpkin coming whatsoever. And now you've got this ginormous, misshapen, awesome pumpkin. And you're like, I'll carve out all the other pumpkins for Thanksgiving. But this pumpkin, this pumpkin gets to keep growing. That's how I figure out all my characters. There you go. That's a great way to put it. All right. Um, I know I laughed at that too. <laughs> so if you guys are listening and you can't see the chat room because you're listening on Sunday, uh, Steve Riggyberg said, uh, "Where is it?" It's, he says, uh, "Wouldn't that be par- pumpkin farmerson?" It would be pumpkin farmer. It wouldn't be pumpkin farmerson. I guess. Yeah, I think it would be pumpkin well farmersonson. <laughs> yes. So good. So good. Um, okay. Uh, Steve Kilpatrick said, "How did Killian and Beans get away from the reef?" How did they get away from the reef? Oh, this is great. Okay, I was going to go to the chat room, but the reef is the reef is an old west frontier town. Okay, um, it, it, there's some inspiration from Serenity or Firefly. Well, Firefly is an old west in space. Mm-hmm. Not the first person to do it, but one of the best people to do it. The reef is a frontier town out in space. A common trope in sci-fi, very common, but it is not an ice. It is not so isolated. Nobody can get to it. You know the 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 uh, Conestoga wagons come through every three months. You know, mm-hmm. Wells Fargo. What do you call that? Sta- the stagecoach comes yeah. through once a week. There is actual commerce and transit with the reef. You're just going to be in. The, you're just flying to Australia on and, a prop plane. And that kind of ruins the point I was going to make a little. I don't mean to say anything bit disparaging about Australia. <laughs> But I will say this. Also, the people who are at the reef aren't stranded there so much as they're choosing to be stranded. They're choosing to be remote for reasons unknown. Uh, Okay, so we have two more questions. They're both from David Wilkinson. David Wilkinson uh, has been a junkie since uh, the beginning of sort of midway through EarthCore. Okay. And uh, has, oh my gosh, so many questions that are so wonderful. And we're going to talk about a lot next week. But these are two that are relevant this week. Uh, the Oleron has two punch drives, and mm-hmm. I know that a ship needs to be close enough to a gravity source to be able to punch. But could there be a situation where they could go, they could punch a second time while in punch space? Oh my god! And if so, what would happen, and where would they go? I don't say that I. And don't say this would just break the laws of physics, since it was made abundantly clear in the Stone Wolves that impossible physics is just the starting point for beans. What you're talking about is transwarp. Yeah. Which is, in Star Trek terminology, and I'm not a full-on Trekkie, I'm a Trekkie adjacent, that is using the transporter to take the warp field and transport it ahead of you so that your ship with a warp field enters the warp field that you are teleporting ahead of you and you're basically double warping, you know? It's like when you hit that button in, in Fast and Furious and the nitrous, bing, and now you can go real fast. It's like that. Uh, there's nothing like that right now. Uh, I am putting a lot more work working with two astrophysicists right now on ways to get 
the crypt era, which is 200 years before the GFL era, ways to get it to behave the way I want to behave to tell the story that I want to tell. So I'll know more later on, but there's really there's really nothing like that. Punch drive is very much a, a hand wavium. Yeah, know. and I was just going to say, this is all not real science for me, what I'm about to say, but it is my best guess. Uh, the problem, so of course, uh, well, the first time we've seen something that sort of teleports or changes space is a black hole. And we saw that with radio signals. We didn't know what that was. And now we know a little bit more about black holes. So can it punch twice? Yes. Would it almost likely get spaghettified in the second punch? Yes. I think I think once it enters that altered state, we cannot expect it to behave the same way it be- behaves before it entered the altered state. And so <laughs> beings in in the first state yes. can't can't work the problem because he doesn't know the problem because he's not yet in the punch space. And once he's in punch space, it goes so fast, he doesn't have time to figure it out. Yes, I will give you a slight clue on how, how kind of how things work is spoiler for the for shakedown, which I don't think too much of a spoiler. Some of the some of the readily available weaponry that we have now or can conceive of the tech we have now once you enter space is so powerful that battles will be over before they even begin. The first person mm-hmm. to lay eyes on a per, on another ship, that ship is dead. And we close in, and nukes are a huge, huge problem when you're trying to tell a compelling ship-to-ship battle story. Mm-hmm. Because they, they are so powerful, and they have such a huge effect, even in space, they end the fight. Fight's over. Yeah. Where's the drama in that? So to germane to what you were saying is there are no nuclear warheads in the crypt era because every time someone takes a nuclear warhead or nuclear physical material and goes into punch space, they never come out. Yeah, they probably just because never they come out. Explode. So there's some kind of thing where punch space they think probably makes makes that matter go critical, mm-hmm. and then it's all over for the ship, and you never hear from them again. So as far as compounding punch space, probably not. That that's it's a, it's a similar it's a similar storytelling mechanic. All right. Um. And the other question, uh, which I loved to end this, uh, and then we'll wrap up, we'll have whatever little questions in the chat room, and then we'll go by 7.30, is uh, who is the single most deadly, most badass individual sentient in all of the Sigler-verse? I'm not counting people who order the deaths of others or who cause deaths indirectly through their actions, only the ones who are willing to do the killing themselves. Hold on. So while you do that, I'll say this. Um, uh, All right. Oh, I, had to, I had to comment on it. So, so they're asking who is the most who badass person? Who is the single most deadliest, most badass person who physically, who actually themselves kill people, not just hand, explodes a plane? Hand-to-hand combat. Hand-to-hand combat? I guess they're yeah, saying yeah. not just ordering other people to do work. Right, right. You, the, you do the dirty work yourself. Hand, I'm going to assume, it, well, we'll assume hand-to-hand combat or uh, small arms you know. Exactly. Yeah, it's them going Gosh, in, not a... not ordering, not Greedock ordering a troop to do something. Well, I mean, Kayla Myers would come to mind, but we'll drop her off because she's in current current day standards. So a guy like John Tweedy, who has a darker history than you know, he'd be very good. I think probably the deadliest person in the universe who would win all of the fights of this character versus a character 
is going to be Killian. That's what I was going to say, too. Yeah. It's got to be Killian. And there are reasons for that that you do not know yet. But by 2025, you will see the whole the whole story laid out, all the lovely watercolors, and all the happy little accidents, and all the lovely trees. You'll see everything. It'll be great. So we have a an um, episode two of the Q&A for the Stone Wolves next Wednesday. That's going to be exactly like this. It's going to be our Sigler in place, and then we're going to run it on Sunday. So that gives you guys no need to download the two Q&As unless you want to keep them for posterity, because you guys saw them live. I will also say next week's episode will be full of spoilers for the entire Siglerverse and will be 90 minutes long as well. Okay. But until then, I think we are done. Uh, next Next, uh, next Wednesday is um, Reese's Pieces Day, or no, I love Reese's Day, which is great because we got a dog and we and yeah, we, we love, love the Reese's. chocolate. Yeah, yeah sure. so that's yeah. going to be great. But uh, we will see you next week, same bat time, same bat channel. We'll be right here. If you need anything, if you have questions about any merchandise, if you have any problems, if you want to add video questions, make sure you do them vertically. Yep, send, send them to info at emptyset.com. Take them, send them. Fun. Let's uh, do it. And then video questions go immediately to the top of the queue. We'll play those first. So if you really want your question asked, answered, send it in video. Yes. And then we'll be back next Wednesday on May We'll be back next. I thought you already said that. We'll be back next Wednesday, May 18th, with The Stones Part 2. And it's I Let's See. When I, I didn't saw that you read I love I Reese's Day. Good. Uh, and until then, as ever, and for the foreseeable future, we need you to stay safe, you guys. We need you to stay smart. We absolutely need you to stay science. You'll understand the Stone Wolves better. <laughs> and for the love of science, even the hand wavium that Chris Grawl and I are spreading all about the firmament and the cosmos, we need you to stay informed. And absolutely, you guys, if you have questions, I, I'll go through all these comments and pull out any questions we haven't had. But please go ahead and send them to info at empties. We'd love to chat the, oh, with you, you next the, week. You only see the Facebook comments, though, right? Yeah, I I'll actually, say this. I'll yeah, say this. Okay, all right. Great. All right. Let's switch over to the uh, camera number one, mm-hmm. which I try to pretend the most handsome partner is me. But we all know that's not true. So now we go to I'm not saying I'm ugly. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Saying I'm not saying it's good looking is what I got on my right right here. Uh, I believe that's it, baby. Right? So. We're gonna tell everybody like we love you, but you can all kiss off into the sky. We'll come back next week. Do you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Well, we love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and we know you're going to love Tabula Rasta, bitches. I'm Allie. And I'm Nick. Tabula Rasta, bitches, is the best friggin' fan cast about Buffy. Join us, Allie Press and Nick Mercer, as we jump back into the world of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and bask in our shared love for all things Buffy one episode at a time. New Buffy fans will love learning about this timeless relic from the 90s and 2000s. Longtime Buffy fans will love reliving the show in all its timeless glory. And everyone will love how utterly charming we are. So if you love Buffy as much as we do, or even if you're just Buffy curious, come check out Tabula Rasa, bitches. You have been listening to The Stone Wolves, a GFL novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins, performed by Scott Sigler. Follow Scott on Twitter and at Instagram, where he is at Scott Sigler, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sigler. 
The Stone Wolves was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2021 Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Battle Cry by the band Super Weapon. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.